All right, here we go. So that our last week talking about the spiritual disciplines, all right? So we've spent the entire month of January talking about these rituals or these rhythms or these habits or these disciplines of Jesus. Because if it was important to Jesus, we want it to be important to us, right? And so if we see Jesus participating or having a, rit- having a rhythm or having a habit, we want to be a part of that rhythm or a p- part of that habit. If we hear Jesus teaching on something, we want to, our ears need to perk up and we want to lean into that teaching and come underneath that teaching. This month, we've talked about prayer, right? And we've put a huge emphasis on prayer because we know that there's nothing that we can do in our own efforts to be a part of the supernatural. To be a part of the supernatural, you have to be a part of the supernatural. And the best way to do that is to engage the Heavenly Father in prayer. So we talked about prayer. Secondly, we came with a little heat on all of us grabbing our, our word and opening, opening it on a regular basis. And we also brought in a tool called the Community Bible Reading Plan. That was very, very exciting. We ordered 150 of those. They're all gone. We've had to order more. So that's a really good thing that we are as a body. We're not just praying, but we're coming under. Underneath, we're yielding to God's word. Last week, we talked about silence and solitude, right? And just the benefits of just getting away and getting rid of the noise. This week, if silence and solitude wasn't hard enough on your heart, right? This, this, is, this is an even more unpopular um, discipline. It's the discipline of fasting. All right. Going without something to eat. For a very long time. So I am the bearer of good news is that fasting is miserable and it's meant to be that way. All right. So let's just get it out on the table. And that's what we're talking about today is we're actually talking about fasting. This idea, this idea of intentionally removing food, right, sustenance, maybe even water, removing those things from your daily rhythms intentionally to seek after God for spiritual purposes. There are very few of us in here with a regular rhythm or just a consistency of prayer and fasting to on purpose, you know, for a temporary time for us to unplug from our main sustenance, food, our main source of energy, food, maybe even water or juice, unplugging from those types of things and shifting our gaze upon the Lord and seeking after him and saying, you are my true nourishment. For most of us in here, that is not a part of our, our scope. It's not for mine. You know, it has been in the past, but in this current season, I can have all kinds of excuses and those types of things. But this, this rhythm of Jesus needs to make, it way, make its way into our hearts. Because food, I mean, it really does, it, it, it masters us. If you close your eyes and you go down North State of Franklin or if you go West State, State of Franklin Road, right, and you just kind of look up just a little bit, you're going to be bombarded, right, with maybe a few big box retailer stores. But for the most part, the stuff that's in the sky, you know, the advertising, the marketing, the things that flip up has to do with food. That's because we spend a whole lot of energy and a whole lot of money on food because it's delicious, it's amazing. I mean, can you, I mean, you can just go back to your mother's table and that, that I mean, that meal that she makes, you know, like, oh, oh, I could eat this all day long. And there's a reason for that because you were built that way. You were built, 
you know, with a tongue. And on your tongue, there's taste buds. You're built with a digestive system that's supposed to growl, right? And the more I talk about good food, the more that your stomach will growl. So everybody fast. All right, that's it. Let's go to lunch. Huh? Who's buying? Right? And that's, that's kind of how we go about this. We're like, oh, that'd be nice, but what's for dinner? Because food's so delicious. It's amazing. And it's supposed to be that way. Food in all of its excellencies is supposed to be that way so that when we withdraw it, we actually know that it's gone. Some of us would like lose, you know, miss a watch or something or, or maybe our keys and go, you know, you're like, where did I put that thing? Or lose your favorite shirt and it won't be until the, you know, the next month. We're like, where is that? But food, food has a voice. Food actually talks back to you, right? Your hunger and your appetite is actually, they've got little voices. And I think they speak Ecuadorian, right? I th- I'm pretty sure, right? They, they come with great angst and, and trophies. But um, uh, they have voices and we need to listen to them. But Paul warns us. He really does come to us with a great warning. And he says that there are those whose God is their belly. You need to think through that, that there are those whose God, right, not capital G God, lowercase g God, whose God is their belly, the stuff that drives them, the things that captures their attention and their imagination is that next meal or where they're going to get that. And so in a real way, our stomach is our sovereign. Our stomach is the thing that lords over us and rules us. Because we go, and not many of us miss a meal. There are three square meals a day, and maybe, if you're my kids, two snacks in between. And if we miss any of these five, right, major platforms of your day, right, you wake up, you sleep, and you have five appointments with food, right? And if you miss any of these, you think that you're emaciated, and you're not going to make it, right? Thank you, Andrew Carey. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so that's why we fast is because these mile markers every single day they rule us and they combine us now that's a big deal um, especially for us because if you look at our logo there's a table right a table means food and we're all about eating around here because we love sitting across from someone and seeing their eyes we love the uh, the conversation and just the rumble in the room when there's food and fellowship and those types of things But if you get around us long enough, as much valuable as as food and fellowship and talking and community, vulnerability and sharing each other's stories, the thing that we value the most around here is Jesus. And Jesus says that one day he will not just give us a representation of his body and blood given for us, but he's actually going to welcome us into a meal. It's called the wedding supper, right, of the Lamb. Right? And so this banquet that he is going to bring us into is where he is the host. He is the bridegroom. He is bringing us and he's ushering all of his believers toward a meal. And that's why it's important to us. But that still doesn't give us an out not to grapple with our appetites. And so what exactly is this fasting thing? Well, like I said earlier, it's, it's temporary, right? All right? It's intentional, 
right? And it's for spiritual purposes. Number one, it's temporary because you can't live without food and you can't live without water very long, right? So the most you could probably go without food. They've said, you know, the 40-day fast is, you know, without food. You couldn't go longer than two or three days. Ask a doctor, he'll tell or she'll tell you better than me, but I think it's about uh, three or four days that you can't even make it without water. And so it's a temporary time and space. So it's temporary. You can't go on forever, right? You can't fast forever. But it's also intentional. Like you're doing it on purpose. This is not a diet, right? I'm not, you're just not withdrawing food from you just to lose weight, even though it's an amazing way to lose weight, right? And so there's some like practical benefits of this stuff, but that's not what we're talking about. It's intentional. It's not a diet. It's intentional for spiritual purposes, and that we are withdrawing the thing that brings us sustenance. We're withdrawing the thing that brings us so much joy and gladness. And we're replacing it with a capital S sustenance, right? And a capital G gladness. And his name is Jesus. And that's the exchange. Is where we feast, where we truly do eat, right? And our power and our source comes from God and God alone. Jesus was known to practice fasting. You know about his 40-day fast. You know that he was able to teach on fasting. It's, it's truly, it's a Christian discipline. So if you look at Matthew 6, you have a highlight on it on your bulletin. But if you look at the, if you turn in your Bibles to the larger context, you see a couple of things in Jesus' teachings. And number one is that it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most famous sermon, right? It, it lasts three chapters long. Now, that was a long sermon, right? So you've got chapters 5 and 6 and 7. This teaching actually comes right in the middle, chapter 6. And uh, fasting is linked with some other disciplines. You'll see that chapter 6 actually starts with this discipline of giving away your money to the needy. It's called charity. Actually giving of your means to help someone else out. It also comes on the heels of a teaching on prayer. Actually, when you're putting your, your being a warning, when you put your words out in public, there's, there's something that happens to our heart that we almost like to be noticed. And here, the kind of the third discipline, not just giving and not just prayer, but now fasting. Fasting was important to Jesus. He taught about it well, but he wants us to not just fast, but to fast well or to fast on purpose, or fast with the right motives. We need to literally feed on God alone. We know that fasting is important to God because Elijah fasted, and so did Moses. He fasted. You got the prophetess Anna. She fasted. You got Daniel and David. They fasted. The apostle Paul and Jesus. I mean, these are all kind of the heroes of the faith. They've all had this rhythm or this discipline, this habit of withdrawing from food, withdrawing from their normal sustenance to say that there's something more important to them. Here's what's important. Is that there is an assumptive language in all of chapter 6. So if you look in chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, when talking about giving, this is the phrase that you'll see in verse 2. And when you give. So the assumption is not if you're going to give, but when you're going to give, right? So, so when you give. So the assumptive language is that it's going to happen. And Jesus has a further or a better teaching on giving. Because the religious establishment said just write the check. And that's enough. 
Jesus goes to the motive. He goes underneath the action, underneath the discipline to prop it up. But it's no, you need to notice that he says, when you give, twice in that first pericope. And then in the second pericope, he says, when you pray. He says it twice. When you give, when you give. And then in the second section, he says, when you pray, and when you pray, verses uh, 5 and 7. And in the same way, verse 16, and this is where our, our passage picks up today, he says it twice again. When you fast, when you fast. It's important for you and I, if we're struggling, like, uh, is this for me or not? You need to understand that giving and praying and now fasting is an essential piece of walking with Jesus. I wonder why some of us, me included, we don't do it enough. Surely we pray and, and maybe we are writing checks faithfully. I wonder why we've just kind of excommunicated this idea of fasting. Jesus thought it was important. So much so that in Matthew 9, he goes on to say, when, when the bridegroom leaves, my disciples will fast. That's when they are going to start off this discipline, and it's going to happen. And so this assumptive language is because we're always trying to get out of things. We're trying to make excuses like, it'll be bad for my health. I'm going to just waste away to nothing, right? So that's the first thing. Number two is, how am I going to survive? Like, I've got work to do, and, and my employees, they depend on me. And so my work, like, pro my productivity is going to go way down if I don't have work. And so we just go into some of these excuses. Now, some of these excuses may be viable, but I would encourage you to put them down, write them down on the sheet of paper, and at least listen to the full teaching of what it is. Practice, practically, food or fasting has to do with food. We've been known as a culture, right, to be okay with fasting, but simply to link fasting and abstinence together, where I'm going to forego certain activities, call it fasting. In the, biblical, in the biblical scheme, fasting is actually dealing with food. So yes, it's probably healthy to withdraw from the internet. It's probably healthy to like pare down on your Netflix and your chocolate and those types of things and your fast food. Like that, that's okay to pare down on some of these habits. But when you're talking about fasting, in the biblical context, it really has to do with food. And there's a reason for that. Food is linked to our appetite. And sometimes our appetites, our stomachs, really are our sovereign. Um, we need to know the taste of food, and we need to know the, the wetness of water. We need to consume these things. As much as we breathe and as much as we sleep, we need to eat and drink. And that's why Jesus, in talking about these things, he says, I am the bread of life. And I'm living water. He literally has to become the chief end of all of these things. And so with your fasting, it's not just getting rid of food and water, even though you are. But it's truly fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is our bread of life, who is our living water. That's what fasting is all about. The most common fast is from evening to evening. And so you eat a, a lunch meal, right? And so in Judaism, this was their most famous fast is for them to eat lunch and then spend the afternoon and the evening in prayer. Go to sleep, they wake up instead of breakfast. They would wake up and pray for breakfast and then again at lunch and then at supper time or sundown, they would eat another meal. 
I would get them, you know, 24, 28 hours or so of, of fasting. So that was the most popular. But there's all kinds of fast in the Bible. Here's, here's someone there. There's the normal fast, if you want to write these down. There's the normal fast where you abstain from all food, uh, but not water, right? So you're just taking food out of your, your daily rhythm. It tells us that Jesus was hungry, but it said nothing about thirsty, right? So we can assume that Jesus was on a normal fast where he withdrew from food, but not from water. Uh, the second is a partial fast uh, where you just get rid of delicacies. And so you, you eat really, really plain things for an extended amount of time. We know that Daniel and all of his, his, his friends were able to do this for a sustainable time is that they only ate very, very plain things. Number three was the absolute fast where you consume no food or no water. This is actually like just the like unplugging from it all and just really shutting down the system. The, th- uh, the fourth is a congregational fast, where actually a church would get together and all be on the same page together and to fast together for one sp- specific and, or spiritual means. So you've got a congregational fast in the, in the book of Acts with Antioch. All of the church of Antioch, they actually stop and they fast for an extended amount of time before they commission Paul and Barnabas onto the first missionary journey. Now, there's also national fast where, I mean, this is probably um, religious context, but the entire country was called to fast um, to abate uh, an army that's coming. And then there's regular scheduled fast. You see that in Yom Yom Kippur or the Day of Atonement where every year you're going to set aside this as as a people group. In the Bible, there's a fast that lasts one day, a partial day, one night, three days, seven days, 14 days, 21 days, or 40 days. You take your pick, right? So you've got all kinds of options here. But the fact is, it's not if you fast, but when you fast. I hope that's clear. And so the aim of fasting is that we not come to rely less and less on, or the aim of feasting is that we come to rely less and less on food and more on God himself. Because Jesus, when tempted by the devil, Matthew 4, 4, he says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so, we feast on God himself and his word. So what do we look, what do we see here? We see this assumptive language of when you fast. But then it's interesting that Jesus comes not with just a, all right, an attaboy, but he comes with a strong warning. He says, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Hypocrite. These hypocrites, they had no problem fasting. That's, I mean, it was a part of their daily rhythm. We're trying to like, get it into our daily rhythm. All right? but So this is maybe a little bit more beyond us. But when you're actually in this practice, here's a warning. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. And here's the trick, or here's the kind of the snag, is that when we want to be seen by others, when we want to be merited for spiritual things, there's nothing better than like a, a ribbon cutting, right, at some nonprofit where some donor has given a ton of money, right? Be careful when you give your money, and that money is brought out in public, Jesus says. Be careful when you pray. And you find yourself pretty articulate or walk with the Lord and people like listen to you, just know that you are really, 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 you're in danger. He says the same thing here about fasting. Be careful. 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus is coming after our motives as much as he's coming after our menu, right? He's coming after why we actually do these things more than just the discipline itself. So yes, embark on this journey of fasting, but really understand that underneath what Jesus is really interested in is not necessarily the fasting itself, but the motive behind it. And the motive better not be to gain something or to get something or to leverage something against the Lord. It better be just for God himself. But there's a catch that in our hearts, we can all be two-faced. That's what a hypocrite is, is a person that's on a theater, on a stage, where he's something in private and then something in public. And this back and forth and back and forth can be dangerous to our hearts. If our spirituality is back and forth and back and forth, we're dangerous. So, Jesus says, it's easy for us to come in here And to be nice and cordial when we're in a group like this. It's pretty easy to go to community group and kind of just kind of know what you're doing, follow the rules, those kinds of things. But what about the other hours of the day? What about the other hours of the week and the month? That's when your spirituality really, really counts. So before the fast, there is actually a pre-fast. There's a pre-motive that actually happens or to pushing the fast in public. And it better be to gain God more than anything else on the planet. And so these men, they had a couple of things that were going against them. Number one is that they loved the praise of man. They really loved their egos to be propped up. Look at you guys. Man, a 40-day fast, a 21-day fast. Man, I would never be able to do all that, the crowds would say. And the more the crowds would just pile on the compliments, the more these guys would continue to fast and to bring that fast into public. Be careful, because uh, any display of ego has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. We need to be careful that we are not seen by others. Second thing is not just to be seen by others, right, but to get some kind of reward. We need to be careful that we're not leveraging fasting or leveraging prayer to get something. God is not a puppet. He can't, you can't just use fasting as some kind of special means to get what you want. That's a backwards motive as well. And so as many benefits as there are to fasting, and as rich and as beautiful as it is, there's no guarantee. We fast to get God. We don't fast with any other things. We cannot pry God's hands open. Richard Foster says that the reason that God uses food and that our appetite is this, is that more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. So more than any other discipline, fasting is what reveals the things that control us, our appetites and our hunger. Those are the things that are actually going to come out of our hearts and our minds. This is a wonderful benefit of being a true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of God because we cover up what is inside us with food and other things. We are unbelievable hypocrites. We love to mask who we really are. And there's something about fasting that will get that inner man just out of you. 
If you are an angry man, you will likely be very angry when you fast. When you are a sensational person, you will likely experience extreme sensation. Over and over and over, the things, the true appetites of your heart will come out when you fast. That's why they say of a good drunk, right? And he starts acting crazy. Like, oh, no, that demon was in him way before the drink. In the same way with fasting, those demons, those things that are in us are just going to rise to the surface. What Richard Foster says is that is the best thing for our hearts, to actually see who we really are and to rest on Jesus and what he has done for us because we're just spending our entire life covering up the things. One last thing on appetites. Um, Richard uh, Russ Moore wrote a book, uh, Tempted and Tried, and in a chapter, a small chapter on being starved to death, um, he gives us a couple of things that I think are really, really important. Number one, he says that um, we love to be fed rather than we love to be fathered. And so at the heart of fasting is to be fathered, not fed, right? Or to be fed by the Father exclusively. But I thought that was a pretty interesting phrase. And I thought, you know, I, I need to bring some of his teaching into the space. But one is that our desire is to be fed, right? To have our appetites truly quenched rather than to be fathered. And that our lordship, right? That when fasting, you're actually saying no to something. When's the last time you said no to something? We've been saying and we, are, we are a yes culture. But to say no is to actually have a lordship over an appetite that is truly fallen. Our appetites, everything is corrupted by sin, including our appetites. Fasting is a way to have lordship over those appetites and get those things in order. Uh, Number two is that our appetites, right, and our hunger, right, it's not known for its efficiency or even sustainability. Like the reason that we eat is more than just staying upright and being able to breathe and teach, right? There's more to food because if there was, if I mean, um, Sunflowers do not have appetites. They just have roots in the ground and vitamin D coming from from the sun. That's how they are fed. But humans are different. We could have had a feeding tube. That could have been us. But there's more to that. There's more than just sustainability or efficiency that's going on with food. It really has to do with our desires. And what Jesus is saying is our desires are good. But too much of a good thing can ruin us. Even food, even nourishment can corrupt us. It's interesting that when Satan slithered up to Eve, he put her eyes on a piece of food. And she desired it. That word desire is appetite. She saw it and she she thought it was good. The same tricks even though it didn't work, was tried out on Jesus. He said, why don't you, son of man, turn these rocks, turn these stones into what? Bread, food. And so with Eve and Jesus, the temptation, right, is that Satan is going to slither up. And it's just, it's all, it's, you know, someone said that a snake, because he eats his prey whole, like he literally just swallows them up choose nothing whatever he like he's he's consumed he's truly made up of just an, just an appetite that will consume us and that's what he wants to do to us he will not stop until you are completely consumed there's something about fasting 
that locks the door, that bolts the door on some of those appetites and some of those temptations. We need that. We need that in our lives. Jesus, even though Eve failed, we had one whose name was Jesus who did not falter, and we thank him for that. Satan comes up to Eve, and he comes up to Jesus, and he does a second thing. He doesn't just tempt with food, but he attempts to walk their attention away from God's words. Did God really say, Satan said to Eve, And then combating Jesus, even combating Jesus with the word of God. And so when we say that, not only are we just, are we going to be tempted with our appetites. But the second thing that we need to realize is that our appetites are truly stronger. The growl in our stomach is stronger than God's words. That's remarkable. That Eve would go away from God's words to fulfill her appetite. Satan thought that he could do the same with Jesus, but he did not. But he still fights with God's word because he thinks and he realized that our appetites have a lordship over us. Fasting will bolt the door on that. And we say, no, we're going to rest in God's word and God's word alone. There is a powerful word in the English language. I think it's the greatest word in the English language. It's the word no. Being able to tell good things, great things, no. Fasting is telling a really good thing, even a great thing, no. Because there's a better yes out there. And the better yes is Jesus himself. When we come to the communion table, we're asked to consume. We're asked to break the bread and to drink the cup. Eat my flesh and drink my blood, Jesus says. Crazy teachings. He says, if we're going to be a consumer, if we're going to be about this, this world of appetites, we must consume Jesus and Jesus alone. Because what's good for us is that we need to be drawn to the Lord. And so what do you do when there's a growl in your stomach, right? What do we do with this hunger pain? What do we do with this sensation? Most of us see that as negative now, like, oh, I cannot believe that. But I want those urges. I want those growls in our stomachs to wake us up, to make us know that we're alive, but also to know that that growl ultimately belongs to the Lord, and only he can satisfy That's what the scripture says. I'm not real good about telling you what to do or how to do it. All I would say is that um, I probably go back to old Judaism and that that sundown to sundown fast is is a pretty good one. I probably wouldn't like unplug from both food and water right away. I would take some baby steps. Maybe just circle um, a day sometime in the next month, one time in February. To circle a day and from sundown to sundown just to unplug from food. But again, it's not just abstinence and it's not a diet. You're going to have to replace it with something. Intentionally carve out some time and some space to spend with your Heavenly Father. Go to Him. Realize that your reward, that He is the one who gives the rewards to you. 
very specifically to you. But you can't gain them yourself. They have to be gifted by the Father. So I would start there. Jesus, in preparing a meal, this meal here, had Isaiah 25 in mind. He said that there's going to be a table on the other side of death, and it's going to be a wedding feast in which, and here's the quote from Isaiah 25, in which there will be a feast of rich food, the feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined, Isaiah 25.6. There will be a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, of aged wine and refined and well-refined. Jesus is giving us now the counterpoint of that feast with this feast, where it's pretty bland and it's not intoxicating at all. But it's a reminder of what he's done, which is emptying himself. One day there will be a table and our host will be Jesus. He will be our groom and he will have a spread. And the spread is unlike anything you've ever seen, anything that you've ever tasted. Your taste buds will truly just leap out of your mouth. But that's not the point. The meal is not the point. The host, the bridegroom is the point. And so when you fast, we're encouraging you to feast, replace your feasting and these urges with God himself, not with food. So let's pray. Father, as we approach your table and as we consume this meal, help us to have delicate hearts and hands as we realize that all promises have their yes and their amen in Jesus. We don't deserve appetites and we don't deserve taste buds we don't deserve food that not just nourishes us and sustains us but brings us so much joy but thank you that you are our yes and you are our amen that you are both the beginning and the end even of a meal even of food and that's why we come to this table week in and week out because we want our yes and our amen We want our identity to be in Jesus and Jesus alone. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he said that he took a piece of bread. Remember, he said that he was the bread of life. He took it and he broke it. And he says, this is my body that was given for you. He then took a chalice of wine meant to be shared with his disciples a substance that, as we've read, is meant for a party and celebration. But he says, this is my blood and it's poured out. It's actually spilled. Most people see it as wasted. This is my blood poured out for you. And so in these two representations, both the giving of his body and the pouring out of his blood, he says, your sustenance, right here. Your livelihood, right here. More importantly than all that, your eternal dwelling will look nothing like this. This is rather plain. 
It's going to be filled out with him sitting at the head of the table. That's where we're going. And so as we eat this meal, help us to forecast and get our eyes up a little higher to see a meal that we will have with him one day. We have men that are all around the room that are here to serve you. We would encourage you, if you're new at Redstone, that uh, you may have not taken communion in a public place, but we all kind of get up out of our seats and we go to these stations. You're going to see something that's a little bit unique here at Redstone is that you're going to see little pods of people. Sometimes those are family units and sometimes those are, those are roommates. Sometimes those are people that we work with. Sometimes it's a community group. But these little pods of people that will gather and reflect and pray together. We would encourage you to kind of join in that kind of rhythm of Redstone for you to, as you partake of this meal, not to partake by yourself, but to partake in, in a community that God has given you. So go ahead and stand. Uh, there's really um, no rush uh, to take this. Uh, Will's going to play some songs and those kinds of things, but don't feel rushed this morning. But just know that these stations are open and are ready to serve you whenever you see fit.